three, two, one. Mark Sanborn is an internationally known inspirational leadership keynote speaker and a global authority on leadership in business, team building, and change. Mark is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author of seven books, including The Fred Factor and The Potential Principle. Mark is also the president of Sanborn & Associates Incorporated, and he's kind enough to join us on the show today, all the way from Denver, Colorado. Mark, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It's the Mark and Mark show today. It's the Mark and Mark show. It's only been a decade since I've seen you, so it's uh, good to reconnect. Likewise. Uh, Mark, uh, we have very different economies right now. Um, in the States, things have been breaking loose and, and going in the right direction. And way up north in Texas North, as I call Alberta, it's going in the other direction at the moment. Um, and probably for the same reasons. <laughs> but uh, for the Albertans that are struggling right now, um, I'm really interested in people's stories of overcoming struggle and, and how they did it. And being who you are and the books that you've written, while we are going through um, quite the grind, what's uh, one or two things about mindset that you'd like to share with us while Albertans are going through the toughest time that we've had since the mid-80s? You know, even though he is uh, deceased, he wrote a book many, many years ago, uh, Dr. Robert Schuller called uh, Tough Times Never Last, Tough People Do. And even though it sounds like a bromide and maybe borderline happy talk, especially when you're dealing with difficulties, it's true. I, I think that there's two approaches to uh, difficult times. And I actually wrote a book called Always Win that talks about what we should all be doing on a regular basis to make sure that we're ready for whatever happens, whether it's an up economy, a down economy, or a sideways economy. And the first thing I would say is once you're in a, a tough economy, there's two primary things you have to do to make the most of whatever opportunity or lack thereof you have. And the first is you've got to work very hard to increase sales, which obviously is harder to do when there's less money to spend and everybody is, is on the same page trying to get the other competitors' customers. That means you've got to be creative about how you create value. You've got to outthink rather than outspend your competition because you don't have the money to spend on, on uh, buying customers' loyalty through expensive uh, perks and offers. So you've got to increase your sales efforts, and at the same time, you've got to look at how you can reduce your cost of sale because you know it doesn't do any good to make twice as much money if you spend three times as much to make it. So it's not about how much money you gross, it's about how much money you net or how much money you keep. Now, having said that, what I wrote about in the book Always Win is that the best time to prepare for a downturn is before it happens. And that, of course, sounds commonsensical, but we rarely do it. You know, my dad taught me the most powerful financial uh, tool of all time. And he said, uh, spend less than you make and invest what you don't spend. And that really is the basis of reserves. You build reserves before they're needed. You know, here in the United States, and I, I don't know the data in Canada, but a high percentage of Americans, I think in the neighborhood of 80%, are only one paycheck away from being technically insolvent. 
That means if they were to miss a paycheck, they, would, they wouldn't be bankrupt instantly, but they wouldn't be able to meet their obligations. And so I think it's a, a lost art, you know, saving for a rainy day, because as we all know, it, it's going to rain, always does. Some days it rains, some days the sun shines, and some days, uh, you know, it's just uh, in between. So I would say one is pragmatically look at how to be more creative in increasing your sales without increasing your cost of sale. And then number two, uh, keep in mind, once you're through this difficult time, it's good to build reserves for the next difficult time that will inevitably come if you live long enough. That's really good advice, Mark. I appreciate that. And um, it's the, the challenge is the creativity that it's, that's required in order to be flexible, to adapt to what's going on right now. There's lots of oil and gas specific companies. We're basically Houston North. And um, uh, it's all oil and gas is, is a big chunk of the economy. Of course, agriculture is, is also large here, but um, and agri agriculture should do a little bit better with the lower fuel prices, so there's at least some benefit there. But um, the, the challenge is the creative juices to be flexible. It's like the Chinese proverb, the mighty oak will not survive the storm because it's not flexible, but the willow will just, no problem with the storm because it's flexible. Uh, now, for yourself in the uh, having a speaking business, uh, Years ago with the last uh, crunch, I was told by many professional speakers that uh, that's the first budget that companies will throw out the window is, is uh, to have speakers in. How's your, um, uh, how are you finding it for the speaking business in the States right now? Is it a bit of a boom? Are you going with the economy and, and there's more dispensable income to, to, to hire inspirational and, and motivational speakers? Well, first, I, I do agree that, you know, when times are difficult, two things tend to get cut very quickly. One is advertising. The other is, is speaking or outside resources. Before I became a professional speaker, I was in the advertising business. So I can, uh, I can speak to, uh, to that. I will tell you, however, just FYI, the last thing that gets cut is sales training and sales speakers. So if you happen to be a speaker in those two areas, it doesn't mean there won't be a downturn, but it's almost always uh, less of a downturn than if you're in other areas that are considered, you know, superfluous. Uh, here in the United States, uh, the economy has been relatively good, uh, although, you know, as we record this for the last few weeks, we've seen a lot of downward pressure on our stock market. The, the reality is, is the bigger challenge uh, in the U.S. for a speaker isn't the economy because we uh, people companies are hiring speakers, but there's just so many new speakers. Uh, more and more, speaking is seen as an easy business to get into, a low cost to entry. And there there are people that think it's easier than it really is, but importantly, there are really good speakers. There are young people, much younger than when I started in the business 33 years ago, that have a great story to tell and are very effective at telling it. So the key thing, and it's really true in any business is you have to be, remain relevant to your customers. You can't just be interesting or entertaining. At the end of the day, they wanna know is what you're talking about or the product you're providing or the service you're providing going to make their lives, their businesses more successful than if they chose someone else. It's the authenticity of it. Um, and but it's more than authenticity because you can be authentic and be irrelevant, right? I mean, I can, yeah. I can be an authentic old guy and somebody might go, he's a really nice old guy, but he doesn't have anything to say to us because of his age, because of his background, et cetera. So it is authenticity, but it's even more than that. It's, it's being um, relevant and being helpful and impactful in a positive way to the people you're trying to serve in any profession you might be in. 
And that's the difference um, between one speaker and another is some are good at infotainment and others are driven to make sure that it's more than infotainment, that there's something tangible and real that you can put in your pocket, walk away and actually implement it in your life or, or in your business. And I get the sense, Mark, actually, I got the same sense the first time we met is that you are a truly authentic guy who really wants to make a difference. You want to do a lot more than just get on stage, do your bit, get some laughs and collect a paycheck. You actually want to make a real tangible difference. Uh, would that be a fair statement? Well, I appreciate that. Yes, I aspire to that. I think that, you know, it's fairly easy to make money. It's much harder to make money and meaning. There's a kind of a false dichotomy in our world that, you know, if you really want to make money, you have to, you know, leave meaning to the side. Or if you want to do something meaningful, you may never be paid for it. You know, you might be a missionary to a, a distant tribe or a teacher who, who never is paid fairly. And I think the real contemporary challenge is, is to come to terms with how you want to weight your business and your life so that you can do both, that you can provide for yourself and your family and achieve the goals you want, but feel good about how you do it. And like I said, making money, pretty easy, making meaning, pretty easy, making both at the same time is what I try to speak to in my work. I think that doing good work, being of larger service to others is always a great recipe for ultimately and eventually making a good livelihood. There's a debate that I have with a good friend of mine. He's a global traveler. He's one of these um, guys that had, all of his business is actually passive income stream, which always sounds like woo-woo, but no, it, some people actually do it. And um, last I talked to him, actually, I had him on the show. He's calling in from Bulgaria and uh, just traveling all over the place. But um, the argument that we have is about following your passion. Uh, he believes that... Um, to heck with passion, uh, just do what makes sense and what makes money and then let that money fuel your passions, which is his travel. And then th there's always the others that say, no, you got to follow your passion because then you'll never work another day in your life. Where are you at that? Like what's, uh, are you on one side of the fence or the other? Well, I think the answer is yes. You know, there's different ways to, to do different things. I wrote uh, a book called The Encore Effect and I basically said, uh, you've got to have passion and process. Uh, process without passion is sterile, and, and uh, passion without process is ineffective. We all know passionate people who are broke because they've never been able to discipline that passion into an energy that created value for others. And we all know people who, you know, go through the motions every day and get a paycheck at the end of the pay period, but they're basically miserable. So, you know, ultimately we all get to choose. I have friends that say, you know, go for the money and let the money fuel your passion as your, your world globetrotting friend says. <laughs> I have uh, other acquaintances who have followed their passion, but are, are really handicapped in their ability to live the life they want to live or to be of greater service to others because they let passion completely trump uh, profit. And again, it, it's always that dynamic tension, and that is how do you bring passion to your process? I, I think a passion is fuel, right? You got a gallon of fuel. If you don't have a car, a gallon of fuel doesn't help, does it? Matter of fact, it slows you down because now you're dragging around a gallon of fuel. If you have a car but no fuel, the car's not very helpful because it just sits in the same space and doesn't move. So I always believe that success is a result of passion plus process. That is good advice. I appreciate that. Where are you at with, um, uh, actually, what I, what I wanted to ask you about, because I thought it was really interesting, was off your, your LinkedIn uh, profile is philanthropy. 
and we were talking earlier about being genuine and actually um, giving back and authentic intention. But you won in 2012 the, and please tell me if I'm saying this wrong, the Nito Kubin Philanthropy Award. It's uh, through the National uh, Association of Speakers or Speakers Association, the other NSA, not the NSA that gives yes. you a hard time at the airport. <laughs> right. And uh, for, that, for that award, that's a heck of a thing to get. And that's an annual thing uh, that, uh, that goes out. It's been going out since 2003. So w- what are your um, uh, philanthropic uh, uh, efforts? Like what, what area are you area are you, are you in there? Well, you know, the, the, the award is based, uh, is given in honor of Nito Cubane, who is currently uh, the president of High Point University, very successful speaker, entrepreneur, and businessman. And uh, I'm, I'm honored to serve on, on Nito's uh, board of uh, directors for his uh, college scholarships. So it was a double honor because I've learned so much from people like Nito, who, who quotes, and I don't know who originally said it, you know, give without remembering, receive without forgetting. And I think that, you know, my own worldview is that uh, we are blessed to be a blessing, you know, that if we, uh, we can be a conduit to greater blessings to others. And if we only uh, accumulate and acquire, that eventually becomes meaningless. You know, the, the research is fascinating. It does, sometimes it doesn't ring true to me, but according to the research here in the U.S., once you make about $75,000 a year, any money that you make north of that really doesn't increase your sense of happiness or satisfaction or, or joy in life. Uh, there's a few people I've met that it seems to have at least made them less unhappy. But I guess the point is, is that you always go back to the big question, why? Why are you earning a lot of money? And philanthropy, of course, is about what you do for others. But rarely we think about being philanthropic with our, our friends, with our family. Uh, with our spouse, you know, and, and it's harder to be philanthropic at a family level because as my wife points out, it's easy to give money. It's much harder to build into somebody's life and give them your time and attention. So philanthropic to me is about giving, uh, not to those who, who uh, uh, need and won't work, but to those who work but still need. Uh, because I think that, you know, you want to partner with people who, who by helping them, uh, not only will they be helped, but eventually you'll create kind of a virtuous uh, chain that uh, someday might enable them to help others as well. That's why I'm a capitalist. You know, capitalism, uh, as, uh, as I think Warren Buffett said, is uh, uh, the worst uh, form of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, economics in the world, except for all the others, right? Uh, and if you're a <laughs> capitalist and you are able, uh, you know, to be a compa- what, what has been called compassionate capitalism, I think that's redundant. I think capitalism is about acquiring, but with a greater end in mind. And so that's what drives me. And like I said, I was greatly honored to receive the, the Nito Cubane Philanthropy Award. For myself, it's veterans issues because I'm a combat veteran myself and I'm active within the uh, veterans community. But what's, what's your personal driver uh, towards philanthropy? And, and what are the cause, like the specific causes that, uh, that you focus on? Or, or is there more than, more than a couple? Well, there, yeah, there, there are several. And uh, my wife and I like to support uh, Christian-based uh, philanthropies like Compassion and uh, World Vision, which uh, we think do a very good job of stewardship and Especially, I think we have a heart for children. I have a personal uh, heart for uh, reading for young people because I think reading is the first step to education, and that's one of the great lifters of circumstance that you can help a young person with. Uh, we also uh, 
like to give to uh, organizations that have benefited us. I was a member of uh, the FFA, used to be called Future Farmers of America, state and national officer. And so uh, an organization like my, uh, my university, my uh, organizations that have helped me, National Speakers Association, we like to contribute to them as well. Well, it's all about giving back and uh, bless you for doing it. Thank you. Uh, could you tell me a bit more about Sanborn and Associates? Uh, like, is it just speaking or are you doing any one-on-one coaching? Does that happen? Uh, what are the different offerings of Sanborn and, and Associates? Well, we, we call our little business uh, an idea lab or an idea studio for leadership development. Because really what okay. I'm about is giving people ideas on how to lead, how to lead or lead better. Uh, I want to inspire leaders to turn the ordinary into the extraordinary. And there are three primary ways that I do that in my business and with my, my team. The first is through speaking. That's kind of the point of my arrow. Uh, the second is through uh, writing books and uh, producing training materials, which are distributed in bookstores online and through our own store. And then I have kind of a third bucket, if you will, of revenue that goes back to uh, advising leaders, uh, doing one-on-one uh, executive speech development, um, I do work with professional speakers, but generally they're speakers that have been in the business a long time. I don't have a program for entry-level speakers. A lot of great programs for somebody that wants to learn how to speak, but that's not the area I focus on. I focus on uh, your position in the marketplace, your presentation, and your performance. And I do that with not only professional speakers, but I really like working with leaders and executives because speaking is such a, a great way to leverage their effectiveness. Is it um, mostly business to business that you're doing then? It's mostly the, uh, the corporate world or also, are you also filling rooms for, um, for the average public? No, I well, I don't do open enrollment seminars. Occasionally I will be on a program that is open enrollment, a promoter. I used to for years appear on John Maxwell's uh, simulcast. Uh, so now I mostly work with, I would say organizations, the majority are probably corporate, but I work with associations, universities, churches, healthcare. Uh, my client list of 26, 2,700 clients is very, very diverse. That's a one heck of a client list. I'm envious of that. What's, uh, what's next for Sanborn and Associates? Is there any other um, uh, changes up the road to the business model or to the offerings that you're going to be uh, putting out? Well, I think that one of the things you do as you grow your business is you look at how you can have a, a greater impact, how you can uh, squeeze more impact out of the hours that you put into each day. I mean, one, one way to increase your output is to work more hours. But eventually, all effective leaders and business owners come to realize that it's not about uh, how many hours you work, but it's your capacity. And that is the ability to produce more in the same amount of hours. So I continue to write. I have a book coming out next year. The working title is Intentional Leadership. Uh, that is book number eight or nine, depending on how you count. Uh, I continue to write. I, I still love to speak. I don't love to travel quite as much as I used to, but I still love to speak. So I'm willing to travel and I'm doing more and more work here locally with speakers and leaders who come to visit me in my offices and uh, I work one-on-one -on -one with them. So no earth shaking new offerings, but you know, we continue to try to be more effective and impactful at what I'm already doing. Well, very few people even come out with one book and you're working on seven or eight. So that's, that's fantastic. And we're definitely looking forward to it. 
But that is our time for the show, Mark, as promised. That's our quick 20 minutes. But thank you so much for, for being on the show today and for sharing your wisdom. There's well, thank a, you. you. Thanks for the good work you do and for your listeners. And I appreciate the chance to, uh, to connect with you and share ideas. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Sanborn.